Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMCs podcast. You are joining myself and Will today for the next uh, version of our oral newsletter. So uh, my name is Dr Laura Edwards, I'm the GP and one of the joint CEOs of Wessex LMCs and I'm joined by Dr Will Howard today who is one of our medical directors. Today's podcast is the verbal version of the newsletter that has come out on the 16th of January 2024. So we're going to start with the introduction um, and uh, the introduction focuses on shared care. And going back back to the basics, we have uh, got the definition of sharing, which is from the Oxford Learner Dictionary and says to have part of something while another person or other people also have part. We feel that that is something that perhaps has slipped people's attention recently uh, around the principles of shared care. We are seeing our members come forward increasingly with concerns um, and uh, stress over uh, shared care arrangements. Um, There is an increasingly complex environment with increasingly complex drugs and increasingly complex patients. And all of this whilst we're under high, very high levels of demand. So uh, there is prescribing and there is monitoring and all of that comes under uh, shared care in different ways for different drugs. And again, we say shared care and locally we've looked at uh, how many drugs are being put into that and that is around 27. Um, and they are actually all with slightly different processes and requirements. So when we talk about shared care, it's not just one thing. It's not just one process. It is multiple processes, uh, multiple drugs, all of which have their own different reasons for being prescribed and side effects, complications, etc. So it is a really, really complex area that sometimes I think the complexity is uh, misunderstood. So the LMC has recognised this and we have issued some guidance around shared care and the basic fundamental principles, which as we said, we feel like everyone perhaps in the system has has lost sight of these. Um, And we are proposing that, um, again, decisions around whether to uh, go with uh, shared care or not should not be made at an individual practitioner level where the pressure can be very high to say yes, even though that might not be the right answer that's best for either the practice or most importantly the patient. So what we have proposed is that really practices practices should be thinking around this as a practice approach because actually it's practice resources and processes and staffing that need to be in place in order to deal with this uh, efficiently, effectively and safely. So um, please do have a look at our uh, new web page that lays out everything and the common questions around all the different kinds of providers that you might be interacting with around this. And also those uh, fundamental questions that we think you should be asking yourselves as a practice before you agree to shared care. And again, shared care, one of the things we'd love to reiterate, make sure everyone is clear on, is that it is fundamentally a voluntary thing. This is not part of your GMS contract. It's a little different if you've signed up to a shared care uh, locally commissioned service. You need to read what's in your contract and what you've agreed to provide there. But outside of that, then it is outside of GMS and it is a voluntary thing. Um, So you do need to uh, consider whether you want to do this or not. So we hope you enjoy reading that and um, refreshing yourselves with the the principles behind that. And then that is some food for thought for your practice and perhaps even for your PCN. So over to you, Will. 
Thanks, Laura. Yeah, it's such an important thing. And as we've gone through this as an LMC, it's it's really highlighted to us how complex it is. And it's that reviewing of these processes that will actually make you understand um, as a practice what you're taking on when you accept shared care and the potential risks of, of delivering this care. So understanding your role in shared care, and that's all been written down into this document uh, to help practices form their own policy. If you work in practices regularly or if you work in lots of different practices, it's important to understand your, the practice that you're working in's policy. And if they don't have a policy, actually ask whether that's something that they should be considering as an organisation as well. Right, I'll move us on to the next part of the newsletter, uh, General Practice, Your Career, Your Future. Um, this is a reminder point where um, General Practitioners Committee branch of the BMA have requested that GPs complete a questionnaire on the future of your career of our profession of general practice. GPC England want to hear from all fully qualified GPs and ST3s and 4s GP registrars in England, um, including non-BMA members. So have a look at the um a newsletter and there's a link to the survey where you'll be asked to fill in your thoughts about what you consider the future of the profession should look like so very important one if you want to have a say over the future um, and then the next part of the newsletter is gp pressures and workforce data again laura i feel like we're going over this week by week we're often highlighting this as highlighted highlighted by the bma um, importantly here is actually a slightly different slant on this we know that general practice is under pressure we know we're delivering more appointments to patients than ever and that we have a dwindling workforce and a dwindling number of practices as practices either closed or merged due to workforce issues. But actually, the, the point of this part of the newsletter is to highlight that the BMA team are collating information and making it presentable for you as practices to use to pass to perhaps patients, MPs, if you get queries from MPs, as you often do, about why patients can't get to see their GP or someone in their practice. Um, and also allows you to give information to your PPGs to help them represent you as a practice to patients um, in, for example, public presentations and so on. So it's a nice resource to be able to get your hands on um, if you would like to. Um, the final point is, is that we'd really urge you to look at the BMA safe working guidance. And again, we know that we have safe limits within which we can work and consider what your practice is doing about safe working, looking at the BMA safe working guidance. Back to you, Laura. Thanks, Will. So uh, moving on, uh, really, it, it's kind of a, a slightly confusing article this to be in here. It is quite unbelievable. But at a time of surging demand um, and people talking about being completely overwhelmed with work, uh, we are hearing both locally and nationally um, that, in fact, locums are unable to get work. We now have unemployed GPs at a time, as you said, where there is massive patient demand um, and unbelievable workload. Uh, on, on GPs in the workforce. Um, so uh, this is, yeah, just causing kind of huge consternation. Um, and we've got two asks here. So one is, can you feed what your experience is? If you are a locum, then feed your experience in. And again, this is an ask to fill out the GP survey uh, that Will mentioned earlier. And just to highlight that that closes in a few days. So on the 21st of January, that will close. So just a few days to put in your um, opinion there. Um, and secondly, just to highlight the GPC England are lobbying around this. So one of the uh, things that's been held responsible for this is um, is ARS funding and the kind of incentives that that's driving. So we, we believe, um, and again, we're hearing this as an LMC, that 
practice resources are highly constrained at the moment um, and uh, that practice income has fallen substantially. Um, and we believe that accountants are having very difficult meetings with practices at the moment to say, you know, money is really tight. Um, what can you stop spending money on? Um, and of course, locums is one of those avenues which um, which can be stopped by the nature of the work. Um, and at the same time, we've got ARS, which is uh, being funded, and therefore that's the people who are getting employed uh, and not TPs. Um, and yet we know that the government, the public, um, and in fact, the ARS staff as well, if they were asked, um, and nearly all the other staff, we need GPs in the workforce. The work cannot totally be taken over um, by highly skilled MDT members. You have to have GPs in there. Um, they're a vital part of the workforce um, and really kind of the, the top of the pyramid in terms of uh, accountability and responsibility. Um, so uh, it, it does seem an absolutely crazy thing to be saying, but that is what we're hearing. Um, so GPC England are lobbying that ARS funding should be allowed to be spent on GPs and practice nurses as well. That's what practices deem that they need um, and want for their population. Um, this hasn't been offered yet by uh, those up higher up in the NHS or DHSC, but we hope that they will see uh, logic and common sense and um, accede to this because um, it's what's needed at this point. Over to you, Will. Thanks, Laura. It does seem crazy, doesn't it? Now we vocalise it, verbalise it and talk about one newsletter article talking about GP pressures and workforce data. And then in the next article, we're talking about the fact that there's locums GPs who, who are struggling to find work. It seems crazy, doesn't it? Thanks, Laura, very much. Right. Online access to records, um, something that uh, as most practices and GPs and practice managers are aware, is something that patients have had access online to their own records. And again, this is a request from the BMA via GPC England, the General Practitioners Committee of England, part of the BMA, requesting that if you have come across any issues um, such as data breaches from the misfiling of records that have been highlighted to you by patients, they're seeking feedback specifically with examples anonymized from specific patient details, but um, examples of where data may have been found to have been misfiled that has potentially led to harm. Um, the GPC uh, as part of the BMA are doing a review on the impact of online access to records um, and it will therefore be very important to collate that information so any feedback you have please click on the link that's in the newsletter um, and then I'm going to move us on to a CQC story now um, an improved digital experience from CQC. So um, CQC are, as lots of practice managers may know, and many GPs perhaps may not know, they are rolling out a new regulatory approach that's meant to deliver a more regularly updated view of quality. I think most of us are slightly anxious or nervous when it comes to CQC uh, inspections. They feel like uh, quite a big undertaking for any practices should you receive that call. Now, CQC have always looked at data with regard to practices, um, but they're starting to improve the way in which they're looking at that data and um, getting better access to GP practice data, better access to the feedback that general practices receive from patients, as well as um, uh, data regarding appointments that are being provided. Um, and so they are asking for the most up-to-date data that they can possibly get. Um, and therefore, they've launched a new portal. Don't you love a new portal? Yet another portal for our practice managers, I hate to say it, who are likely to be the holders of the usernames and passwords and uh, to enter the data into the portals. But 
Um, CQC have uh, uh, started this new process, and I think it's very important that practices are really clear on what their role is in uh, making sure that they are registered in the right way with CQC. So they have made a summarizing video for practices to watch and look at. And I think if you were the registered manager in a practice uh, who is registered as the manager for CQC, we'd really urge you to make sure you've watched that and understand your role and responsibility with regards to CQC registration with this new process makes you slightly worried but if it does please contact us at the lmc we're happy to support you with any queries or questions you might have as we do have discussions with cqc about any issues that practices might raise with us and then i'm going to move us on to direct access to diagnostic tests so this is an nhs england process and um, nhs england has published a document called with the real catchy title Enhancing GP direct access to diagnostic tests for patients with suspected chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, asthma or heart failure. Wow, that's going to catch on. Um, this is non-clinical guidance for systems. So that's ICBs about how patients should be allowed to access spirometry, pheno testing and pro-BMP testing for breathlessness diagnostics. Um, and what this article makes it clear is, is that actually it should be the system that is responsible for ensuring that patients can access um, those services, those investigations um, easily and clearly. So where those services already exist, then those uh, should be continue to be the commission services. But where they don't exist, ICBs have a responsibility to ensure they are made available for patients. And again, uh, if you come across any uh, issues with accessing those investigations for your patients, please let us know at the LMC so we can lobby on your behalf um, with the ICBs and ensure that the responsibility for them isn't just left with you as GPs. Back to you, Laura. Thanks, Will. And I think, you know, just following on from what you were saying, uh, this is the kind of guidance that we as an LMC find quite helpful uh, to uh, bring into our conversations and influence. Um, so just something for you to be aware of really on the ground, but I wouldn't spend too much time uh, reading it. It's, but it's definitely for us and important for us as an LMC to be able to represent you um, at, a, at, a, at that level, at that system level and get those resources in place for you. Um, right, so moving on to uh, the next thing, uh, also catchily titled Lipid Modification Resource Implications. So I think uh, this is Inclusiran again uh, coming out um, and looking uh, at those uh, things and around um, PCSK9 uh, inhibitor prescribing um, as well. And this was, uh, I think, again, ongoing conversation uh, on that sort of topic. And uh, I don't think NICE had really properly uh, assessed the resource implications for primary care. Uh, so as part of the conversations around Inclusiran, I think they've reconsidered their position and instead of it being highly secondary care focused perhaps realise that when we prescribe things in primary care, really going back to shared care at the beginning, there are resource implications in primary care for doing that. It doesn't just happen by itself. There are humans making clinical decisions and appointments and conversations that have to happen uh, with patients. So they have made some steps to include that uh, in their costings. Uh, back to you, Will. Thanks, Laura, very much indeed. 
Um, we are just repeating an article that was uh, one we raised a few weeks ago in our newsletter, MAPS, so Medical Associate Professionals, as we will know them as physicians associates working in our practices. Um, and this article relates to the decision that uh, MAPS or our physicians associates are going to be regulated by the GMC and NHS England decision has been made with regard to that. And the BMA has quite a strong stance on this particular decision that has been made by the B- by NHS England. The BMA thinks that this decision to have uh, physicians associates regulated by the same body that regulates doctors will cause further confusion um, for patients um, as uh, physicians associates and medical associate practitioners can be confused by patients as a replacement or an alternative to doctors. The BMA thinks strongly, therefore, that this should not be the case and urges uh, urges doctors and other interested parties to write to their MP and they've used a a tool on a web link to be able to access your MP directly with the right wording for any arguments you may have and it certainly gives the BMA's opinion with regard to this particular NHS England decision. Uh, Again over to you Laura. Thanks, Will. So, uh, again, coming back to GP retention here, and again, it feels like a slightly unusual thing to be saying. Um, I think at the top of NHS England, they are highly uh, focused on GP retention. uh, And yet, at the same time as hearing that message, uh, they would like to let us know that the current national GP retention scheme, so these are the general practice fellowships, new to practice fellowships and the supporting mentors, will close on the 31st of March 2024. Uh, anyone who has already joined the scheme, so if that's you listening to this and your pulse is rising, you will actually continue to be supported and you will get your full two-year programme. Um, but uh, we don't really know what's going to happen next. I think there's, there's hints that the money will still be there, but it might come locally. Um, but uh, NHS England have said they will continue to invest in GP retention 2024 to 2025. More details will follow. So we wait with bated breath, but it does feel at this point, at this juncture, a little bit disappointing uh, as an announcement. But uh, we'll keep you posted on that. And again, we'll be having uh, local conversations to find out what is happening and what plans uh, will be in place. Uh, So moving on again, really linking this with retention, we've got two little offers uh, to remind you of around uh, recruitment. So if you are advertising, you've got a vacancy, the LMC buying group, which you may be a member of under us, um, then you can list your vacancy there. So if you want to advertise outside of the Wessex area, uh, they offer that free of charge and you can have a kind of premium package, which they will charge you £50 for and you get some extra uh, goodies for that. Um, so do think around that. And of course, we offer you as Wessex LMCs the opportunity to advertise on our jobs page and we get a lot of um, traffic on there. So lots of people looking at those vacancies um, and that is free of charge to you as one of our members for um, our practices, uh, PCNs and federations. So do uh, have a look there um, if you have a vacancy to advertise. That brings us uh, last of all onto our education events that are upcoming. So we have a child safeguarding level three event on Thursday, the 29th of February, which I, I will be facilitating. So it'd be lovely to see you there. Um, and uh, we know that that's it. getting safeguarding training can be tricky um, just to kind of get in there and, and find safeguarding training. This uh, is nice interactive training. Um, and would help you uh, get your hours. So um, do have a look at that. Um, And I look forward to seeing you there if that's the training that you need. Uh, And then last but not least, we've got what about meetings? So again, something that a lot of us are involved in quite a lot of the time. Uh, And we have some training here, two lots of two hour interactive sessions that forms a course in itself. 
uh, very limited uh, number of places there, but they are funded. Um, and this course promises to transform your meetings. It's based on the thinking environment uh, by Nancy Klein, who wrote the book Time to More, or More Time to Think. Um, and it talks uh, around all the stuff that you need to, to really consider to have really effective meetings. Um, so uh, hopefully it will live up to its promise to uh, transform the meetings. I look forward to that. Um, and that brings us to the end of our newsletter for this week. So thank you for joining us um, and we hope to have you again on another podcast with us soon. Take care, everyone. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.